Freedom! It's a weekend of freedom. We remember the day that a declaration was made. We've got declarations every Sunday morning. I can't wait for them. But on July 4, 1776, most of us know this history lesson to start. If you don't know it, it's new information. If not, just let the Lord breathe some fresh breath into it. But uh, it was on July 4, 1776, when delegates from the 13 colonies adopted the Declaration of Independence that uh, Thomas Jefferson wrote. Um, they adopted it, and they decided to send it off to the king, right? This document has 27 different grievances. I had to, I had to pull up on, on archives.gov the declaration and count them because I really wasn't sure. And, and I didn't want to Google it. I want to count them for myself. That was a grouchy group of people, you know. They had some grievances, and they were legitimate. They were absolutely, you know, and some of them start resonating with me in this country even today. And I'm like, we kind of got that going on here. 27 grievances against Great Britain resulting in the colony's final decision to absolve all allegiance, all political connections to the British crown, to end its tyrannical reign over those colonies and to declare themselves to be independent states. They controlled their own destiny. They, they weren't going to submit to the authority of uh, Great Britain any longer. It's considered to be the, the birth of our nation, of the United States of America. Um, it's considered the birth of the, the civil freedom that we now enjoy here in this country, that we can even do this this morning. There's, there's a lot of nations in the world where you could not do this. You would be drug off to jail, even put to death, um, you know, because you gather together in Jesus' name and you proclaim his name. Um, we've got so many brothers and sisters right now in this very moment whose lives are at stake because they do that. Remember the persecuted church. They are our family. And when they suffer, we suffer. We are so blessed here in this nation, though. So incredibly blessed. Um, it began a new government, that declaration, that put in place many measures to prevent that same tyranny from happening again. Because we have a tendency to repeat our history, right? We don't learn from our mistakes. We repeat our mistakes, unfortunately. Um, that's just who we are. We'll just be honest with ourselves. And so they put in place three distinct branches of power that were guided by a very simple yet just amazing document. I mean, it had to be spirit-led. Uh, writing uh, the Constitution of the United States. It still guides us to this day. It's still a struggle to follow it and to adhere to it and to figure out how to apply it to the ever-changing culture you know, in, in this world. But it's amazing how powerful that document is and, and how well, even here we are you know, a couple hundred years later, 250 years later, uh, still living by it. And um, what was sort of inspired this is just uh, this last weekend, my family and I, we decided to go and to visit those places where it actually took place. Um, you know, we, we went out to Philadelphia Valley Forge and we experienced firsthand, um, you know, many of those, where many of those events took place, uh, where this nation began. You know, it's, it's just, I'm not a history person, but it's really cool to me when I'm standing there and that was the flintlock that, like, you know, George Washington used. I'm like, that is so cool. Like, that's not a reproduction. That's actually it. His hands actually touched it, you know. It's just amazing, you know, to think about. Um, you know, just, it's so cool. We got to see those. We got to, what really inspired us and challenged us was the personal journal entries, you know, reading what those men were, and, and women as well, you know, experiencing, you know, how they viewed it um, and, and what they were going through, the sacrifices that they made. 
um, you know, to, to make it all possible. Um, cutting ties with their source of everything was a, a pretty big uh, decision to make, and it's not one that everyone supported at first. We were not a United States of America from the beginning, and we're not very united at this point, but that's the goal uh, right through it all. Um, but we're just amazed by some of the sacrifices that, that individuals made to participate, especially in the, the war following because the declaration was just the beginning. Um, Britain wasn't going to take that lightly. Um, we all know the, the Revolutionary War that broke out as a result. Um, and, and the nearly impossible odds that really they faced to win that victory. You know, one of the things that uh, Megan was kind of grossed up about, like how many of them were just literally in the cold of winter naked. They didn't have any clothes, you know. We, we don't think about that because you think about the Redcoats, the British Army, you know, and, and they just, you know, but they were out there you know, um, sick and diseased and starving and freezing, and yet freedom was worth that much to them. And I know that's what really challenged me personally, you know, is how much do I really want to experience the fullness of the freedom of the Lord and all of his promises? How much am I really willing to sacrifice to press in until they're mine? <laughs> Because Jesus said they're yes and amen, right? And of course, the, the sacrifices that they made, they produce as one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth right now. You know, the United States of America, um, a world leader, a world power. Uh, you know, I, I wonder if some of those founding fathers really even prophetically saw what we would become. It had to be in their hearts. It had to be in their minds. It had to be in their souls to be willing to sacrifice so much to make it uh, take place. But, you know, here we are <clears throat> living it and enjoying it. Um, <clears throat> we've been blessed by so many civil freedoms that, that other people are just denied. Um, civil freedoms. It's just it's crazy to think about just how awesome we are. We are not a perfect nation, but we are becoming a more perfect union, right? That's what the Founding Fathers desired us to be, and we certainly are becoming that. Um, and sort of the, the reminder that, that I had was that any government that is formed by man and, um, and operated by man, by mankind, it's never going to be perfect, right? Um, Thomas Jefferson's Declaration of Independence, it lays out a foundation that defines why governments are instituted, right? If you've read it, you've seen it. Um, most of us are familiar with three of those um, inalienable rights that we are endowed with by our creator, capital C. Um, you know, that, that he believed that governments are instituted to secure those rights, um, of those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And of course, there's far more rights than that, but those are the basic foundational ones that we are created with by God. And that governments are created to secure those rights. And those governments derive their power by the consent of those being governed. It's the only way the government can work. We see some of the lawlessness that the Bible is going to rise up in the end days. Um, when you have a lawless people, a people who refuse to um, submit to authorities, submit to laws, governments cannot function. It's, it's a, it's a uh, cooperation, right, between the government and those being governed. It's the only way that that can uh, really exist and fulfill its purpose. Um, and he also warned us that those governments should not be changed for light and transient causes. That those governments should be established with the long term always in mind, not being uh, reactive but responsive. 
whenever they make decisions, whenever they legislate laws, what is the long-term impact of this legislation? Not just reacting to something that's happening here and now, and we, we have a tendency to do that, right? Even in our national government as it exists. And we need to be cautious, according to Thomas Jefferson, not to change that government for light and transient causes. Um, now, our, our nation's leaders today continue to struggle to ensure the rights of all of its citizens. And then just let me be blunt, and we try to think outside of our Christianity, you know. It is extremely challenging. We need God's wisdom, the wisdom that Solomon had, to be able to protect one people group's rights without infringing on another people's group's rights. And they're constantly trying to keep that balance of maintaining liberty and justice for all, for everyone. It's, it's a struggle. That's why they need our prayers, because they need the wisdom of the Lord to maintain that balance, protecting everyone's rights. Um, because in our constitutional republic, right, that's what we are, constitutional republic, uh, we have the opportunity to also be a voice into our government. And that's what you see. You know, you see these voices uh, speaking very loudly, uh, many voices. We have the right to vote as well, um, <coughs> which is one of the ways that we can, um, you know, speak our voice into our government. Because after all, they are, you know, most of the branches of the government are elected officials to represent us. I'm, I'm getting to the spiritual ramification of all of this. Just bear with me as we, we get there. Um, but it is a struggle. And so as Christians, we should speak up. We should take a stand to ensure that our rights are protected. To be a voice, as the, the Bible calls us, especially to be a voice for the voiceless to defend those who cannot defend themselves. We have uh, really the, not only the opportunity, but also the responsibility um, to do so, to be a voice to our government, um, because we can directly influence the decisions that are made, the laws that are legislated. Um, you know, there's plenty of scriptures to back up the stance, but one that came to mind uh, recently came from Psalm chapter 119. And uh, Psalm 119, it's all about the word of God. Um, just love that chapter. But it declares this. Um, and I, I think it was a Psalm of David. Don't quote me on that one, though. This is just a thought. I don't know for certain, but I think David wrote Psalm 118. Um, and, and he wrote here in verses 45 to 47 that I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Precepts of the Lord bring freedom. I will speak of your statutes before kings, right? We will speak to the governments of the world. Now, what well, back in Solomon's days, they came to seek out his wisdom, right? They came to seek it out. And I will not be put to shame, for I delight in your commands because I love them. And so from a, a Christian perspective, we mentioned this morning, we have a few huge wins from our perspective, from our rights that have been protected with the overturning of the decision of Roe versus Wade, indicating that abortion is not a constitutional right. The Constitution doesn't grant you the right to an abortion. Now that has been turned back over to the states. Abortions are not illegal at this point. There's a lot of falsification floating around and everything. You know, but really, we are not... This nation likes to just categorize everybody nicely and neatly in these boxes, you know, of, of where you stand. But the reality is, at least at New Hope here, and I'll kind of speak on behalf of everybody, and y'all can correct me if I'm not representing you, but we love life. We defend life. 
not only the unborn child, because here's where, here's where we can't separate our civil and religious perspectives. We believe that no matter the circumstances, God created that life. We were knit together in our mother's womb. Even in cases of, of, of extremes like rape and incest and horrible circumstances, we would never agree with those circumstances. Our heart breaks for women who are placed and, and treated unfairly, and they are sinned against. We don't stand for those events, um, but we, we believe firmly that God has some purpose for knitting together. That. And, and even lives that, um, that don't make it to full-term birth, I mean, we defend that life. But we also defend the, the life of those women that are mistreated. We should not be standing out there hating women who are making this choice. If you've never been, and I know several ladies here, even just in our small group this morning, have made that choice and have suffered through that. It is not something you take lightly. And so if you're really passionate about this issue, get involved in ministries like Life Choices that they are there to, to support that poor girl or that poor woman through those choices. And even if they choose what we don't agree with, we still love them and support them, and we are there for them, because I think they need, you know, they need love and support even more so um, through those choices. But, so, but we do celebrate that, that we recognize that from our perspective, and I'll just speak for myself here, that that's, you're ending a life, you're murdering somebody, and that shouldn't be right in this country. Um, and then we continue on to the other case that was won recently, and that one I think we can just all agree on. It's not even really that arguable. Uh, Joseph Kennedy, you know, that coach that used to pray at the 50-yard line on the uh, public high school fields after games. He didn't force his players to do it. You know, he didn't. For, usually both teams would come and join and pray, you know, but because one parent's like, mm, you know, he might be choosing the ones that pray to be in positions and, and overlooking my kid because they don't want to pray, you know. Um, it went the whole way to the National Supreme Court. And what was won was, again, the Supreme Court is not supposed to be a left or right um, organization. They are literally supposed to blindly just enforce the letter of the law, the constitutional rights. And they declared that that coach has a protected constitutional right to pray on that field. And that's something to celebrate, right? Woo. <laughs> It seems pretty straightforward if you read the Bill of Rights, but, you know, it was challenged, and we won. But here's where we start to make this transition, because, and believe me, you can argue with me afterwards if you'd like. I openly encourage discussion about these things. Um, but the things I'm about to share, they're really biblically guided, because the two are not always in alignment, and so bear with me, keep an open mind and an open heart this morning. Because as a follower of Christ, we know that we actually uh, walk and operate as dual citizens. We are citizens, I think everybody here, yeah, I don't think there's any illegals running around here, right? <laughs> They're probably running around our community, we just don't know them yet, but you know, that's a whole other story for a whole other time. Um, but all of us have dual citizenship. We are citizens of the United States of America, Yet we're also citizens of heaven. We're, we're here on the earth, and yet we're also seated in heavenly realms, according to God's word. And so this is a really interesting thing for us to walk out and to embrace. And this is where things really get messy. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. Thank you, Lord. This kind of confirms, because I was going to change the message last night, but this kind of confirms. We're, we're dual citizens, and sometimes we have a hard time separating those two. 
sometimes I have a hard time separating the two. We unify the, our, our faith and our civil um, reality, our, our heavenly citizenship and our earthly citizenship. But there are some distinctions that need to be made as a caution as we're entering the end days. I firmly believe we're entering into the end times, and I think that the church needs to be cautioned about some of these distinctions so that we walk this um, correctly. Um, and th this also is very interesting because the U.S. is a constitutional republic. We have a voice and we have a say and we choose our leadership and we let our opinions be heard. Heaven's a kingdom. What the king says goes. I can't argue and debate it and change his mind, right? What he calls sin is sin. What he calls right is right. What he calls wrong is wrong. And my, it doesn't matter if the rest of all my brothers and sisters in Christ decide otherwise. He's a king. We have a hard time operating as free citizens of the U.S. in a kingdom sometimes where it's just your will, your way, Lord. I know it's best because that's what we have a hard time with, right? We take the, all the fallibility of our earthly leaders, and Lord help us right now with some of our leadership at all levels of government, and we place it on the Lord. But he, he's not like us. His government can be fully trusted he, he wants only what is best for you. He, he does not have ulterior motives. His motive is for you. He loves you with a perfect love. Every one of his ways is for your good and benefit. That's why it's, it's fun to operate in a kingdom where you just obey. Just say, yes, Lord. You know, there's some freedom in that. But biblically, it's evident even the Apostle Paul had to walk this out. He claimed to be a Roman citizen, and he declared his rights. He made sure he had access to his rights as a Roman citizen. We see this in Acts 16 and 22. Um, he also claimed and leveraged all of his rights as a citizen of heaven. In Philippians 3, he declares that. And so we're incredibly blessed to live in a nation that was built on really our kingdom principles. Um, you know, it, it truly was. It, it was built on God's kingdom principles and moral values. And, um, you know, we, we can argue and debate it. We don't, I've never met the guys personally, so I don't know their personal faith, you know, our founding fathers. Um, but it was very clear that they were heavily influenced, um, you know, by godly kingdom principles. They, they quoted from the Bible many times in their early writings that we have manuscripts of. Um, so we know that this kingdom, uh, this kingdom, this country was built on Judeo-Christian values and morals. Um, yet they also understood the importance of separating government from religion because they didn't want what you know, Great Britain had with a government-ran and operated church where even the church owned a lot of property and whatnot, and it just got really messy when the two mixed. <laughs> you know, it got really, really messy. Um, we can debate about the Founding Fathers' personal faith and whether the U.S. is a Christian nation, you know. We can debate that, whatever. But the following warning is absolutely true if we believe that what Jesus said is true. We can, all agree, can we agree this morning? Are we all in agreement that what Jesus said is true and accurate, right? Even when we don't want it to be, it's still true and accurate. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Because there's a danger and a warning of combining and making one our patriotism as an American citizen, as valuable and blessed as we are to have that, and our worship of God. Because there is going to come a day in the end times when those two are going to come in conflict. And unless we understand where one begins and one ends, we're going to really struggle in those days. 
um, as things are changing. And we're seeing these things taking place already. I never thought in the United States of America that praying would be something that goes the whole way to the Supreme Court, you know? That that would even be a question, that that's a protected right, that I have the freedom to do that here in this nation. But if everything that Jesus spoke is truth, then what he spoke here, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 24, and if you want to read along with me, you can, um, is this warning. And we have to take Jesus at his own word that these two things are not one and the same, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, his, uh, you know, he was sitting at the Mount of Olives, starting at verse 3, and the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when will all this happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? You know, he, he warned about, he's like, you know, these things ain't going to be standing, and they're like, oh yeah, the end times, I want to know more about that. When's it happening? What's it going to look like? You know, and Jesus gave us, signs to look for. And if, if you want to know sort of my, my teaching on end time belief in a nutshell, it's just be ready. <laughs> be ready. I can argue and debate so many viewpoints on, on the end times and, and what that looks like theologically, but Jesus ends Matthew 24 with, look, if the man of the house knew when the thief was coming, he would be ready for him. So just be ready. He said not even himself or the angels know the day and the time that it's happening. Nobody knows, but there's signs to look for that you know they're coming close. And that's what we find in Matthew 24. So Jesus answered them. He said, just watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And I think in our culture right now, people aren't claiming to be Christ, but they're claiming to speak on his behalf. There have been so many false prophecies and so many warnings that the end time's happening like now, and it came and went and didn't happen, you know, and here we still are. So we've got to be watchful of this. Jesus said, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. We need to core temperature in the church sometimes, dealing at the end times, because we know how it ends. And we know what our role is. Just preach the gospel, heal the sick, cure the diseased, you know, set the captives free, raise the dead, all those things he told us to do. That's never going to stop. Who we are and what we're called to do is the same no matter what days we're living in, no matter what season we're living in. It's always the same. Jesus keeps it really simple. He says such things must happen, but the end's still yet to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be earthquakes in various places. These are the beginning of the birth pains. These are some brass necks here that we're feeling, you know. They ain't the real thing yet. They're just beginning of birthing pains, that the end is coming near. But Jesus said this, after all of those beginnings take place, then you'll be handed over to be persecuted, to be put to death. Things aren't going to get better for Christians in the end times. They're going to get more challenging but I also believe that the move of the Spirit is going to be so powerful, it'll be like the early church. We won't care. Saw me in two. I'll get a better resurrection, you know? Come on, let's do this thing. There'll be a boldness that rises up in the church. Anyways, that's, that's for later in the message. <laughs> but here's what Jesus says that always pierces me. And this pierces me to be very cautious of my civil freedom and my life freedom that he gave me. Jesus said this little simple phrase. Jesus said, you will be hated 
by all nations because of me. Now to me, this is my opinion and my interpretation of what Jesus said, that means either these incredible blessed United States of America are going to cease to exist during the end times. I kind of have a hard time believing that one personally. Maybe I have too much national pride. I think we're too powerful of a world power to just cease to exist between now and then, but wasn't Rome also a pretty powerful and worldwide power? Anything. Anything can happen. It's going to mean one of those things. Either our nation ceases to exist before or during the end times, or our nation changes. And we're starting to see those winds. We're starting to see those pushes and those moves and those voices of opposition to Judeo-Christian values. That means that even here in the United States of America, our rights will not be defended to live as a follower of Christ. Our rights will be stripped away. And my interpretation of Jesus saying, all nations will hate you because of me, that means that my rights aren't probably going to be protected at some point during the end times. And I have to come to grips with this. Because if my patriotism and if my faith are one and the same, then what Jesus says next will take place. At that time, many will turn away from the faith. They'll turn away from the faith. And they, I don't think that they're going to willingly do this. I think they're going to be deceitful led away. Deceitfully led away. It's a slow fade when you turn away from the faith. In fact, it says that they will betray. They will hate each other. Many false prophets will appear. They will deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. And we see that. What the world calls love, it ain't love at all. What the world calls tolerance, it's not very tolerant, right? But they believe it is. They believe it is. They've been deceived. In fact, Jesus goes on and he says, but, and buts are big in the Bible, right? But the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in a whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. So if you want the end to come and you want to kind of squeeze it along, start supporting missions. Start getting the gospel out there, right? You know, the gospel's got to be preached in all nations before the end comes. And man, the Bible's being translated to so many languages, you know, every day. Um, it's just really cool to see. It's exciting times to live in. But Jesus said that during the end times, we'll be hated by all nations because of him. So our faith and our freedom, they can't be derived from our civil liberties, they have to be derived fully, not from a citizen of, of the United States of America, but as a citizen of heaven. That's what we need to define and find our freedom in. We've got to be very cautious to do that, because that freedom is ensured. And that freedom, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself with um, these slides here. But the freedom that we receive in Christ is ensured. That freedom can never be taken away. No law can ever be legislated against it to truly stop it, to truly end it. Um, that freedom will stand strong in any, any form of man-made government. Um, now, I firmly believe that there's absolutely nothing wrong at all. Nothing wrong with patriotism. And we should be proud to be Americans, right? We should kneel to God and stand for the flag. You know, we, we should absolutely do these things. 
We should be grateful for all of those who gave their lives to establish and to defend our freedom and for the ones who are still doing it today all across the globe, keeping our enemies at bay so that we can enjoy peace and freedom. We should be so grateful, so thankful for them. Um, you know, we, we absolutely should, but there, there should be a distinction between these two, our civil and our, our faith freedom because our civil freedom is so fragile, so uncertain. We're seeing the signs that it could be taken away at any point. So we have to be careful unifying our worship of God and our devotion to any man-established government. We've just got to be careful with this. That's, that's the warning. Um, because here's sort of the warning that I've seen take place. Um, even here in this place, you know, we've, we've had um, some of our missionaries come in from, uh, actually one from a group from China, and I, I, I'm not going to share who they are or whatnot, but they're over there for many years now, in fact decades, they have served in China, um, and they have been so effective winning people for Christ and building the kingdom of God, and they're actively also serving the People's Republic of China, uh, you know. And, and some of our people actually took them aside and kind of rebuked them and criticized for that. And it's like, whoa, 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 how many people have you led to the Lord in the past 20 years? How many people have they led to the Lord in the past 20 years? Do you see where we might be getting things wrong? We might be off in our, our view and perspective of the gospel. Because the gospel that we should embrace and receive and accept should be a gospel that is unchanged, unhindered by any man-made government. You, you all know my, my political persuasions, but you shouldn't like have to be. You know, if you think that being a Christian is just being a good conservative Republican and hating all Democrats and whatnot, then you've really, really gotten lost in this mix and forgotten what the gospel is all about. You know, you've forgotten. I'm not saying it's wrong to be those things. I am myself, you know, but we've forgotten what the gospel really is all about. That's what we're getting called to this morning. Whew, there's a shaking coming, right? So if being a disciple of Jesus means we have to be those things, and, and it's even, we've had to correct it and, and unteach some things here. If being a disciple means being of this political persuasion, then you've kind of forgotten what discipleship is all about. And this is nothing new. Did, did you know that even in Jesus' day, when he was walking the face of the earth, discipleship was getting mixed up and messed up? And Jesus got pretty fired up about it. Jesus got so fired up about the disciples that were being made. In fact, he said this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. He said, woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. You travel over land and sea. Awesome missionary efforts, right? To win a single convert. And they consider that success, right? I mean, they're, they're laying down everything to go over land and sea to win even one single person for God. But he said that when they succeeded, you make them twice as much the chat of hell as you are. This is some pretty strong words. I, I've never called anyone a chat of hell before. <laughs> I would call... In my, in my mental state that needs renewed, I would consider that to be a sin, you know, but Jesus did it. It wasn't sin. He was so adamant about discipleship. How many times do we do that? We, we lead someone to Christ, but now all of a sudden, they have to walk this way, talk this way. They have to politically vote this way. They, ha they have to fall into our cookie cutter 
for them to be a true disciple of Christ. And that's not what discipleship is all about. Discipleship is all about you getting separated from the world and that mess that it created you to be and becoming that gummy bear that you were created to be. It's about you becoming you, not you becoming like me. Man-made religion is just a form of man-made government. We just spiritualized it, right? I know ouchy in a lot of the community here, but really that's what it is. A lot of religion out there, which I'm not speaking against the church, just all of us need this reminder. A lot of religion out there has become a man-made form of government with Bible quoted and preached. But the essence of discipleship is all of us following Christ together, but all of us embracing more who he declares us to be with all of our unique attributes. We are all different parts of one body, right? As we are taught. That's what discipleship looks like. It's all about Jesus and who we are uniquely in him. Jesus didn't tread lightly about this subject. In fact, he gave us a command. It's what we call the Great Commission found in Matthew chapter 28, right? To make disciples. Discipleship is such a critically important part. It's not just about seeking and saving the lost, right? To gather, that's our, our first church um, you know, mission, right? Is to gather in the lost, but then also to grow. That's what discipleship is about, growing in our faith together. It's not enough to just be saved. It's about then exploring what the Word of God teaches and, and learning how to live out my faith, putting flesh on the Word of God in the form of me, you know? Living it out to, to its fullness and abundance. But Jesus said that we are to go and to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. That's the gospel. And so if the gospel that we embrace here and the discipleship process that we embrace here doesn't apply in another nation, then that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not discipleship according to what he has called us to do, right? We're not really making disciples the way that Jesus has commanded us. Because the power of the gospel applies to all nations. All nations. That is the beautiful thing about the power of the gospel. That's the beautiful thing about the Holy Spirit. He brings everyone together from all nationalities, from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, from every economic status, from every religious upbringing. He unifies us in our diversity. Only God can do that. But the power of the gospel, it's not weakened. This is what the American church needs to hear. The power of the gospel is not weakened because the government overseeing them does not support it or encourage it or embrace it or even give you the right to do it. The gospel is not disempowered because of it. The gospel doesn't need a man-made government support to radically transform the people of a nation. Read the New Testament. Look what the early church looked like. That is what we are to also look like. That's why God decided to write it down and pass it along a couple thousand years later. It wasn't so we can brush it off and read a good history book. It's so that we can embrace it and follow their example. Those who have gone ahead of us and done it successfully. They were successful, we're failing. So what were they doing that we ain't doing? Are you with me? Do you hear me? That's what they understood. They understood that they didn't need even the religious government of their day's support. 
The power of the gospel didn't need it at all. All you got to do is just unleash it and let it do its thing, right? Unleash the kingdom of God and just let it be itself. It'll take care of all the hard work, right? That's what the Spirit does in and through us. Um, the church was commanded in the early church, throughout the book of Acts and, and, and on throughout the rest of the New Testament, commanded not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And that may happen in the United States of America at some point. It's illegal to speak the name of Jesus, to teach about him, to preach about him. They were beaten. They were imprisoned. They were murdered by governments, plural, for doing so. Their property was confiscated. Can you imagine if the United States government said, guess what, that house you're living in, mm -mm, it's mine now, because you're a Christian. How would we respond? Oh, does this challenge me? How would we respond if that happened, and how did the church respond when it actually did happen? We're going to read about it in a second. They were publicly humiliated in so many horrific ways just because of their faith in Jesus. And even though everybody knew that high cost of following Christ, of becoming a Christian, guess what was happening every day? Every day, people were being saved. They were putting their faith in Jesus, even though they meant, knew that that meant putting their life on the line. Even though that meant sacrificing everything. They didn't even count the cost. They knew it was worth it. It was worth it. And here's how I know this. Here's just a quote from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 and 34. Paul was writing to the Hebrew people, and he reminded them. He said, remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison. I would never consider this the word before this statement, but Paul reminded them that they joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Whew. Man, do I need to shake off my Americanness and embrace my kingdomness. I got a better possession. My little plot of property, it ain't nothing compared to the mansion that's being built for me. <laughs> so who cares if they take it? It was never mine to begin with. I'm just a steward. Nothing that I have is mine. It was all entrusted to me by God. So if it gets stolen away from me, phew, he's got something better for me. Okay, Lord, what are you going to do now? I'm homeless. <laughs> you know this. This is not fun. This is not comfortable. But where are you going to take me? Right? If he knew it was going to happen, then he has a path beyond it. You may go through the valley of shadow of death, but he's just taking you through it. He has better things planned ahead of you. You will experience the goodness of God here in the land of the living, right? No matter what gets stolen from you. In fact, listen to how these people responded to severe persecution and how God, more importantly, responded to them. Sometimes we wonder why we feel like we're fighting alone and we're not winning battles. Maybe it's because you are fighting alone. You're fighting a battle on your own that the Lord hasn't called you to fight. The Lord's called you to surrender. This is what happened. Acts chapter 4, verse 24 to 31. This is the very, or Acts chapter 4. Church was just born. Just came into existence. They were figuring this thing out on their own. All that they knew is the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit. And that's all they needed. That's all that they needed. 
Here's how they responded to being harshly persecuted, things being taken from them, their lives at stake. They prayed, and this is their prayer. They said that all these people, they're doing what your power, Lord, had decided had, and will had decided beforehand. They acknowledged that this was the will of God. We would fight it and say, this can't be God's will for me, right? They acknowledged, first of all, that it was God's power and God's will. He decided beforehand that it should happen. So they said, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. We cry out for justice. We cry out that, that our enemies would be smitten, that they'd be cursed. What did the early church pray for when their government was coming down on them hard? They prayed for healing, first and foremost. Stretch out your hand to heal, to perform signs, to perform wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed that prayer, and there's way more to it back here, they quoted, um, you know, what, what David had said, you know, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The, the kingdoms of earth, they rise up. The rulers, they band together all against the Lord, against his anointed one. And they talked about Herod and Pontius Pilate. They, they all met together with uh, all the people, and they decided they were going to kill Jesus. You know, they, they accepted the reality of what was happening, but they accepted it to be God's will. And how did God respond to that prayer? After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Shaken. God was like, yeah, that's my church. I mean, he, he gave such a shout that the place they were meeting in was literally physically shaken. It says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So let's be honest with each other this morning here. Most of us Christians in America, man, are we weak and whiny and feeble, right? So whiny, so me, 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 and, you know, my rights. Paul said, I have the right to do anything, but not everything's beneficial. Paul wrote and he said, I've got all these rights, but I will become all things to all men so that some might be saved. I will give up my rights because the kingdom of God is worth far more than any right I could ever sacrifice. We should embrace our rights. We should fight to defend our rights. But ultimately, we have to learn when our rights don't matter in the kingdom of God. That in the kingdom of God... You have the right to do things that no one can take away. Read the, the end of uh, Romans chapter 8 where he, he talks about all these things. And he says that no law can ever be drafted. No, it's in Galatians 5 with the fruits of the Spirit. No law can ever be written against them. And read about the persecuted church. There have been governments and there have been people groups who tried to stop people from loving them. Tried to stop people from being joyful. I mean severe persecution. This one lady that always sticks out in my mind, and I think I shared it like probably a dozen times here, she was put in the shipping container in, in the hot sun, given no food, no water. They'd go in and just beat the snot out of her. But they couldn't stop her from saying, I love you, I forgive you. And man, did that drive them crazy. Nothing can stop you from being everything God called you to be and from doing everything God called you to do. 
Nothing is greater than God's kingdom. Not even your American rights that may exist or be, may, may be taken away. Nothing can stop you, right? Perhaps we've forgotten that we're a free people. Because where's our boldness? Where's our courage? Where's our strength? Do you really want to trust that to Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi? Is that really where you want to draw your strength and courage and your freedom from? I mean, please forgive me, but come on. Why do we act like the, the U.S. government has such authority in our lives? We spend more time fighting for our rights and whining about them possibly getting taken away than we ever do exercising our rights. Because here's the word of caution. If we exercise our rights, if we just were who God called us to be, well, we're going to end and talk about that in just a few seconds, and I, I am ending here, I promise. We've forgotten the weary free people because... Why isn't everyone getting filled with the Holy Spirit? It happened over and over again in the New Testament. It happened during this prayer. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all spoke the Word of God boldly. Not just preachers or teachers. Y'all have a calling. Y'all have giftings. Everyone needs to be out there sharing the gospel. Using words when necessary, right? I love that little addition. Why is it that when we meet in places like this, God's not shaking this place? Our worship, man, is it puny? And I love the worship team, you know, and, and I love us people, but man, sometimes I, I think I can see through our expressions of worship that we don't really get what God has done for us. We don't really understand what we have through our freedom in Christ and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because if we really got it and really understood it, you couldn't contain our worship. You couldn't contain it. It would be inexpressible, right? Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34 to 36, he was talking to them and he said, Very truly I tell you, truly, truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Some of us still have some bondage in our life. That's why we're not free to worship. That's why we're not free to, to really live it out, because we're divided. We're serving two masters. Because Jesus told us this about slavery and sin and freedom. He said, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's where our freedom comes from, from the Son, from Jesus Christ. I love our civil freedoms. I'm so grateful for everyone who gave and sacrificed to make it happen, but I know that that's not really my freedom. I'll enjoy it while it's here. I'll take advantage of it, making the most of every opportunity while it's here. But when it's gone, my freedom still is not gone. I still have freedom. Because it's found in Jesus alone. And when he sets us free, we're free indeed, right? What if this happened? Just imagine with me for a moment. Close your eyes if you have to. If we started really being who Jesus said we were, the salt and light of the earth. What if we really truly started embracing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? What would happen? What would happen? What would the lives of those in this nation look like if they were just radically transformed by Jesus? 
for that to happen, this is my opinion, but I firmly believe it because we've seen it happen over and over and over again in the kingdom of God, in all forms of government. If that were to happen, then the government, the United States government, could legalize everything the Bible condemns. They could just make it all legal and permissible. And they could put a law against everything the Bible commands you to do. They could do that. Everything contradictory to the Bible is now in place. There's laws against the good stuff and there's laws for the bad stuff. And guess what? It wouldn't matter. People wouldn't be going out and getting abortions because they would likely not be putting themselves, I mean, statistically speaking, when you look at the causes of them, they wouldn't be putting themselves in situations to even become impregnated to begin with, then they would appreciate life. I mean, you know, just because the government legalizes or illegalizes something doesn't stop it from happening, does it? Can we agree on that? Just because it's wrong and illegal to murder people, does that stop gun violence? Does that stop knife violence? Does that stop, you know, overdosing people with drugs intentionally? I mean, laws will never stop sin. They, it, they just can't. They call it out. This is right. This is wrong. But even if the government gets that all messed up, it wouldn't matter if we did our part and people were kingdom people. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. It wouldn't matter. Too many of us have misplaced belief. We may not say it, but we need to acknowledge it this morning, this reality. We have this misplaced belief. I grew up in a different generation. I'll just be upfront and honest about that. I didn't grow up, you know, opening up every day with prayer. We opened up every day saying the Pledge of Allegiance and, you know, saluting the National Anthem. We did all those things, but we didn't start out with prayer. That was before my days. And, you know, but to be honest, prayer was never removed from school. Um, my kids can attest to that. Their teachers can attest to that, that prayer was never removed um, by any means. But we have this idea that if things were like they were in the good old days, you know, if the government all of a sudden put prayer back in schools, first of all, what God are they going to be praying to? I don't want my teachers leading my kids in prayer, you know. I, I don't know what, where their faith is at. I don't know what they're going to be praying to, how they're going to be doing it, you know. I don't want that. I'm just going to be honest about that. This is my personal opinion. You know, but we have this idea that if, if the government did this, if the government did that, then we would be a Christian nation again. Then people would be getting saved. If the Bible was read in school, if, if prayer was in school, then we'd be a Christian nation again. I, I think God saw that mindset and said, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. Hey, hey, take that away. <laughs> this isn't good. The government is not supposed to teach and educate and, and lead people to me. The church is supposed to lead people to me. They're supposed to teach. They're supposed to educate. They're supposed to be the head and not the tail, right? If we did our part, the United States would be a Christian nation once again, not because the government, you know, has a Christian value set again, but because the people follow Christ. The people are disciples. And then it doesn't matter what the bozos up here decide to do, you know? It doesn't matter what they decide to do because we're going to live rightly. We're going to boldly proclaim the word of God and the truth of God, whether there's laws for it or against it. And when people receive it, they're not going to do it even if it's legal, and they're going to do it even if it's illegal. Do you understand what I'm, what I'm sharing this morning? This is what I think the Spirit is speaking. This may even be a prophetic word for the days coming ahead. Don't worry 
so much about what is happening in the governments over you. Be a voice into them. Pray for them. Be a squeaky will as much as you can. You fight and you defend your freedoms. But even if, even if they're taken away, don't ever stop living out your freedom in Christ. Don't think that the gospel is going to be hindered. The most effective times in the world history for the gospel were the days when persecution was the harshest. Thousands every day were getting saved when Christianity was illegal. Right after Jesus was hung on the cross, right after Stephen was stoned, thousands were putting their faith in Christ. We don't need to fear persecution. We just need to be boldly preaching the gospel. And in fact, I believe if we are boldly preaching the gospel, persecution may not be necessary, right? May not cause us to rise up. Jesus saved and he sent you and I to the lost. He came to seek and save the lost and he sent you and I to actively seek and to save the lost. While we're going, make disciples of all nations. And that starts right in our backyard, right? Jesus commissioned you and I to make disciples, to teach people to obey everything he has commanded, no matter what. Jesus gave you and I freedom and then he sent you and I to do what? To set the captives free. Freedom. Today is a day of freedom. Every day is a day of freedom. And sorry, I'm just getting ahead of myself here. So we got to stop waiting for the SCOTUS or the POTUS or any other of the United States of America to give us freedom. You have it. You have it. And even if they decide it ain't yours anymore, you still have it. What Jesus gives you is yours, and no one can stop it, and no one can take us away. So start living it. Start sharing it. Preach the good news of the gospel and live it out with your life. Nothing can stop it. No law can be formed against it. We have been given freedom and authority. We are called ambassadors of the kingdom of God as citizens of heaven. You're an ambassador. You're not just a citizen of the kingdom. You represent the kingdom. You walk in the authority and the power of the kingdom. And when you get drugged in front of even the Supreme Court and you've got to you know, plead your case as a Christian, sometimes you can just keep your mouth shut. Let the evidence speak for themselves. R remember the man at the gate called Beautiful? They hated these people. They were common, unordinary, or they were common ordinary men. There's only one thing about those really annoying men who are raising a rebellion in their country. They'd been with Jesus. That's the only thing that they could tell about them. And they were so angry. They're like, we want to kill them. But we can't deny that man was lame all of his life. And here he is walking and jumping and praising God. So what are we going to do? They, they scourge them. They persecute them. And they say, stop talking about Jesus. And what do they do? They walk out of that place and they say, Lord, help us to preach it boldly. Right? It's unstoppable. You're unstoppable. That same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the grave lives in you. You have a living hope within you. No one can kill that living hope because Jesus lives in eternity, right? No one can kill Jesus again. And that hope is in you. Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit is in you. You are empowered. You are emboldened to just be you. And let it drive the government crazy. Let them try and stop you, right? They can't do it. Because it's not about you. 
It's about who you represent, who you are an ambassador for, the kingdom of God. So let freedom ring here in this place this morning. Make every day a declaration that today is a day of freedom. I'm not the person I was yesterday. I'm a new person, a new creation in Christ. And his power doesn't just dwell in me. Oh, it exudes through me, right? It changes everything. Today's a day to be set free from the weight of sin and everything that trips us up and everything that weighs us down. It is a day of independence from the destructive snares of the devil because he can't trip you up anymore either. Today's a day of new life, an abundant life, a fullness of life. Today's a day of freedom. And so as we close here, just freely worship the Lord, however that looks for you. You're free to run all over this place, dance and shouting if you want to, and you are free to just sit there and just to soak in that reality. Let it soak into your life that I'm not a slave anymore. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm a free person. The Son has set me free. I don't have to work for the Lord. I'm a child of God. I get to work for the Lord. And He loves me even when I blow it. He forgives me every time I ask it of Him. You are dearly loved. You are healed. You are delivered. You are set free. You're a new creation. You're all those things in Him. Amen? Amen. Whew.